Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Hey there, TCC. Uh, Please open up your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Jonah. We are on chapter 2 of this book in our sermon series. Uh, The prophet Jonah has heard the voice of the Lord, commanding him to go to Nineveh to preach against the city about their wickedness. But Jonah totally disobeys that command. He heads off for the complete opposite direction. He goes to Joppa and gets on a boat to sail far away from Nineveh. Then God sends a raging storm against the boat. Everyone on the boat casts lots to find out who is responsible for this unnatural storm, and the lot falls to Jonah. So they ask him, what did you do? Jonah tells them. They get frightened, and they ask Jonah, well, what should we do to you to stop the storm? And Jonah tells them they need to throw him overboard. Seems a little extreme. And so they're reluctant to do that. But the storm gets worse and worse and worse, and so begrudgingly, they throw Jonah into the water. And as soon as they do, the waters grow calm and the storm subsides. Then God sends a great fish who swallows up Jonah, and that's where we're going to find Jonah today in our passage. And this is where our imaginations like to run wild. There's quite a bit of interest in this. You know, how did that work? What was that like? What was the creature uh, that swallowed him up? The most common artistic interpretation, which we even use in our bumper, is a whale, which makes sense because whales are large aquatic beings that seems capable of swallowing up a grown man. Now, we do classify whales as mammals and not as fish, and the original Hebrew is rightly translated as great fish, but the classification of whales as mammals is relatively modern. Even until the 1700s, whales could be classified under the general heading of fish. And that doesn't mean that people, even from antiquity, were unaware that whales are a different sort of creature. They knew that. Even as far back as Aristotle, who wrote quite a bit about aquatic creatures, they knew. They, they recognized that things like whales had hair and lungs and lacked gills and suckled their young. These are not dumb people. They knew that these are different kinds of creatures. The question is, though, how do we categorize them? What does it mean to be a fish? What does it mean to be a mammal? Is it primarily about habitat or primarily about physiology? Human beings are the ones who define the classification system. God gave us authority. We can name the animals, and we can classify them in whatever way best aids us in our study of the natural world. So it very well could have been a whale, and that would not be an error of the Bible. It's just semantics. So yeah, maybe a whale. Seems like a good candidate. And people have speculated that it's probably a toothed whale, things like killer whales and sperm whales, because those kinds of whales do and are capable of swallowing up large animals like seals and giant squid. So they could swallow a full-grown man. And we have some accounts of this sort of thing happening. Uh, some of them are more credible than others. Uh, someone sent me this story which is pretty well documented. So this lobster diver in Cape Cod got trapped in the mouth of a humpback whale and then spat out. That's quite an experience, kind of interesting. And it does make you think of Jonah. Uh, So these are fun things to think about and speculate about and imagine, but I don't want us to get the wrong idea here. I don't believe that the Bible is claiming that residing in the belly of a fish is a naturally occurring phenomenon. If we're trying to figure out how this happened or how this could work using only our understanding of the natural world, well, then I think we're going to come up short. What happened to that lobster diver might be purely naturalistic. He was in the mouth, not the belly. And he was in there for 30 seconds, not three days. 
and he had a breathing apparatus. Uh, there's not a lot of oxygen in the bellies of whales, and what gas is in there is quite harmful, like methane. A God does work providentially, that is, through the natural order of the world. But God also works miracles, bending, altering, or superseding the natural order or the natural law. He is sovereign over all of it. He spoke the entire universe into being. He established the natural law, and so he can do as he pleases. And we see that very clearly in the book of Jonah. Jonah tries to flee. But you can't flee from God. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He is omniscient. He knows everything, so he knows where you are. He is omnipotent. He has power over all of it. He commands the wind and the waves and sends a storm because he controls the natural world. They cast lots, and the lot falls to Jonah because God is sovereign even over games of chance. And Jonah gets swallowed up by a great fish because God is sovereign over all the creatures of the earth. And Jonah lives and endures in the belly of the beast because the life and the breath of every man is given by God and sustained by him. We see God's sovereign hand at work. Despite the will of man, the disobedience of Jonah, we see God's sovereign hand at work providentially, and I think we see God's sovereign hand at work miraculously as well. I think this is more than providence. I think this is a miracle. I think Jonah is living in a miracle for three days, which is why his prayer here is a little bit different than what we might be praying if we ever found ourselves trapped in a whale like that lobster diver. Here's what he prays, Jonah chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So this entire chapter centers on this prayer of Jonah. And it is a very strange prayer. If I found myself trapped in the digestive system of a fish, you can probably guess what my prayer life would consist of. It would be nonstop prayers to God saying, God, get me out of this fish. Rescue me, Lord. I am sorry. I'm very sorry. Lord Jesus, please deliver me from this fish. Uh, that seems like a pretty natural thing to pray. But that is not Jonah's prayer. That's not what he prays. His prayer is a prayer of gratitude. His prayer is a prayer of thanksgiving. 
I'm not sure what kind of weekend you've had, but I'm willing to bet that for at least most of us, it wasn't as bad as being in the belly of a fish. And yet in our lives, there can be a profound lack of gratitude. We live in an entitlement culture where everything is owed and deserved and expected. Everything is catered to us. Everything is curated for us, to our tastes and our sensibilities. Uh, This week, I was looking at some one-star Yelp reviews in Tulare. Here's one. Never had a problem here until today. Usually great service and excellent food. Today, I ordered a custom ribeye sandwich with cheese, grilled onions, grilled mushrooms, and wild jack sauce. I got all of that and grilled bell peppers. I can't eat bell peppers. They taste gross to me. I brought it back to the counter, and they said they would make me a new one. I wait by the counter for 20 minutes. Finally, one of the girls at the counter asked me what I'm waiting for. I tell her, and she goes and asks. She comes back and says, sorry, no one had started my order yet. So I waited another 10 minutes, and they give me my sandwich. I start to walk away and flip the top of the sandwich to check on it. It's covered in barbecue sauce. I didn't order barbecue sauce. I don't eat barbecue sauce. I turn around and go back to the register. I tell them that they remade it wrong again. They tell me I'm rude for asking them to remake it again, and they won't make me another sandwich. They will give me a refund of my sandwich, and that's it. Uh, That's us, isn't it? Uh, Maybe you wrote that review. Usually great service and excellent food. I didn't write a review then, but this one time they got my order wrong. Got to write a review because I'm the customer. This is me we're talking about. And they had the audacity to put bell peppers on my sandwich. I can't eat bell peppers. They taste gross to me. So I demanded that they make me a new sandwich and then get this. I had to wait. Me, waiting. Do they know who I am? And in the end, all they would do is refund all of my money. One star. Now, good business practices aside, I think this consumer-customer mindset bleeds into other areas of our lives. And we can approach God himself like we're a customer of Christianity. We see this from the Israelites, Numbers. The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. One star. So God delivers the people from slavery. He frees them from slave labor. And he's leading them into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey where they will reap what they didn't sow and eat fruit from trees that they didn't plant and drink wine from vines that they didn't tend. And along the way, God sustains them. He provides food for them each day miraculously. Manna is not a naturally occurring food. He miraculously gives them daily food, and they have the audacity to complain about the menu. How entitled. And that's us too. And that's Jonah as well. As rightly oriented as his prayer is here, it's a fleeting moment. In chapter 4, Pastor Ryan's going to preach on that section, so I don't want to get uh, too ahead, but Jonah is sitting waiting to see what happens, and God sends a vine up which springs up overnight and gives Jonah shade. And then God takes it away. The plant's gone, and Jonah is not happy. It says this, But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? 
It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Jonah did not grow the plant. He did not tend the plant, but boy, does he deserve its shade. You know, my family is uh, moving. We're currently in Visalia. We're moving to, to Larry. It's closer to work. It's a bigger place. It'll fit us better. It's currently being constructed, and hopefully we'll be in by late November. But it's all contingent on selling our current house. And so I'm praying about it. I'm like, Lord, help us to sell it. Help us to get the right amount for it and for everything just to go smoothly. And wouldn't you know it, we got a good offer. Uh, But will the house even appraise for that? Well, wouldn't you know it, we got a good appraisal. Oh, but, you know, we can't move out until our new house is ready. And so, you know, we have to negotiate and we negotiate a rent back. And, hey, no problem. Everything goes smoothly. Everything works out perfectly. We go through all of the paperwork and reams and reams of documents signed. And we're on our way. And then about a week and a half ago, we get a call. The sale fell through. The buyer had dramatic reduction of hours at work. And so they don't qualify anymore. And so we had to start all over. And I'm angry. I'm frustrated because, you know, come on, God, isn't this what I was praying against? So entitled. Like I'm a customer. You know, doesn't he know who I am? You know, it's a big feeling for such a small thing. I mean, really, realistically, worst case scenario, not even the likely scenario, but just the worst case scenario is uh, we just keep living in the house we already have which is quite a bit better than residing in, say, a whale's stomach, not to brag. You know, what is it that we think we're entitled to? What is it that we think we're owed? What is it that we think we deserve? Because here's the truth, and it's not a truth that we happen to like, but the premise of Scripture is that what I deserve and what you deserve is hell. That is what we are all owed. That is what we all do. That is what we all deserve. That is the premise of Christianity. Nothing makes sense apart from that. If you claim Jesus as your Savior, you have to answer the question, what is he saving you from? And when we finally come to terms with that, when we finally see grace as grace and mercy as mercy, then our hearts are filled with awe and gratitude and where we too will lift up our voices with shouts of grateful praise, even from the belly of a whale. Jonah can say this prayer because at this moment he recognizes what he deserved, which is death. I think it's very clear from the text that everyone on that boat believed that if Jonah were thrown off of the ship, he would be going to his death. You know, I think we can miss that because of our familiarity with the story. We know what's going to happen, and so we think everyone else in the story does too. Or at least that Jonah knows. But that's not at all what the text indicates. Jonah says, take me and throw me overboard. And the people don't do that. They don't want to kill him. So why doesn't Jonah just jump off the boat? Wouldn't that have accomplished the same thing? Why does he need to involve them at all? Well, I'm not certain, but Jonah didn't know how the story ends. And I think he believed that God's righteous judgment had come upon him. And if he went into that water, I think he believed he would die. And we have a strong survival instinct. We fight against death. 
And so when it comes down to it, maybe Jonah just couldn't sacrifice himself like that. And he needed them to force him off. He goes into the water expecting and deserving death. And his prayer is all about when he went into the water. Listen to it again. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the deep and the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit when my life was ebbing away i remembered you lord and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple jonah was expecting death and he found mercy and that is why his prayer is filled with gratitude even from the belly of the beast and like jonah we too are saved by god's mercy and god's grace saved from hell and death And in light of God's mercy, because of his amazing grace, we can have gratitude no matter our circumstances. That's not to say that being in the belly of a fish is pleasant. No, it is not. That sounds horrible. And let's make no mistake about it. Some of the things that we face and endure in this life are terrible. Some of our circumstances are painful and difficult. Christianity is not putting a smiley face on bad things. We're not pretending that being trapped in a whale's belly is really actually great. It's super comfortable and the smell is wonderful and it's a very convenient way to travel. Now our gratitude is not denying the difficulties or hard circumstances or pain that we endure. But it is to say that when we see God for who he is and we see ourselves for who we really are, when we see reality that gives a right perspective on our hardships. Christianity is about corrective lenses, not rose-colored glasses. And there's a difference. When we correctly see God for who he is and rightly see ourselves and view it all through the lens of eternity, we approach all circumstances with gratitude. You know, as a child, when I heard the Jonah story, I, I think I interpreted it wrongly. I saw being swallowed up by a fish as a punishment to Jonah. You know, he's in fish jail and he has to do his time there before God will eventually release him. But in Jonah's prayer here, that's not the viewpoint. The the fish is not a punishment, it's a rescue. Jonah's prayer is thanking God for rescuing him from the waters, not rescuing him from the fish. The fish is the rescue. It is the means of his deliverance and it is for his good. Even though just looking from the outside, just looking at the circumstances, it wouldn't seem like it. You know, what on earth is good about being trapped in the digestive system of an aquatic animal? That sounds terrible. And in some ways it is. But it is also the means by which Jonah is rescued. It is also the means by which Jonah comes to repentance. It is also the means by which God leads Jonah back to the safety of dry land and sets his prodigal prophet back on the right path. It says in Romans, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All things might really mean all things. 
It says in Corinthians, all this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And that is why and that is how we can have thanksgiving and gratitude even in the belly of the beast. And that is why and that is how we can know and experience the love of God even from the depths. Jonah says this in verse 8, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. That's quite a statement. Clinging to worthless idols, turning away from God's love. It says in Psalms, The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Idols can seem preferable. You can fashion them how you want. Gold, silver, your choice. Because after all, you're the customer. They have eyes and ears, but you can hide from them. You can flee from them. They're there when you want them and gone if you don't. They have mouths, but they'll never tell you to go to Nineveh. They'll never say what you don't want to hear. You know, Jesus says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. You see the heart there? How he wants to show compassion, to care for them and show his love to them? But they were not willing. They kill the prophets. They stone those sent to them because they do not want to hear the voice of the living God. It can be hard to hear. It's hard to hear that you're a sinner deserving of hell. But you'll never know. You'll never come to understand or see the depths of God's love for you until you see how much you don't deserve it. If we cling to our own righteousness, if we cling to our own self-assuredness, if we cling to our pride and our arrogance, we turn away from God's love for us. And we sink deeper and deeper and faster and faster into the depths by clinging to our worthless idols when God's mercy and grace are right there waiting for us, if we are willing. And lastly, God's love leads us to obedience. Verse 9, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Seeing grace as grace, seeing mercy as mercy, experiencing the depths of God's love leads us to obedience. What we have vowed, we will make good. And we offer our lives, no matter our circumstances, because while we were drowning in the depths, God reached down in his mercy, in his love, and in his grace. Well, let's sing songs of grateful praise. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.